I've called today's message, and I hope it's going to be hopeful, uh, helpful. I know it will be. I've called it Offense, Forgiveness, Trust, and Reconciliation. I'm going to read to you the last part of Acts chapter 1, a part of the Bible that's typically ignored even when people are teaching through the book of Acts. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of quick context, Jesus has got to the end of his ministry, three years of ministry, and he's been betrayed. Uh, he's gone through a, a trial, kind of a, you know, what, what, what word did they use? A, a puppet trial. It wasn't very good, but he was found guilty, of course, executed, very painful death, a crucifixion, buried, and then has risen from the dead and has made quite a few appearances over 40 days. And in the early part of Acts chapter 1, he's on the Mount of Olives with his followers, and he gives them some final instructions to go and bring good news around the world. But before you go, wait until you are empowered with or you are empowered with the Holy Spirit, which will give you power from on high. Then in Acts chapter 1, we find these words. So the disciples have been on the Mount of Olives. Jesus has now ascended. And as they're staring up, an angel says, Why are you looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who's just departed will come back in the same way. But you guys get busy. So here's what they do. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk. You weren't allowed to walk very far on the Sabbath, so it's not that far of a walk. When they arrived, they went upstairs. This is the so-called upper room. They went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were, and then here's the list again, but rather than 12, it's only 11 because Judas has now betrayed him. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, now this is before Pentecost, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language Alkadama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. By the way, that was one of the qualifications of being one of the 12 apostles, to have been an eyewitness of the resurrection. So, they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two 
you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Offense, forgiveness, trust, and reconciliation. Uh, I've often thought of it like this. Offense is inevitable. We're going to be offended. We all sin. Sin happens. <laughs> to misquote that old bumper sticker, sin happens. Offense happens. Offense, uh, forgiveness Forgiveness is mandatory for the believer, so offense is inevitable. Forgiveness is mandatory. Trust has to be rebuilt, and reconciliation is optional. Let's talk about that, and let's look at this story. Now, i got to remember now, Peter stood up to talk, and man, Peter's been through a few days. I mean, in the last few weeks, uh, Peter at Caesarea Philippi has given the good confession about Jesus. Jesus says, who do people say I am? Peter is the one that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. In other words, that's way too smart for you to have come up with on your own, but your father in heaven gave you that. That's, that's from God. He, then he talks about the keys of the kingdom. And uh, wow, uh, wow, that's an, that's an awesome compliment for Peter. That barely happens. Then when Jesus begins to tell him how since he's the Messiah, since he is the Christ, he's going to have to suffer and die. And at that, Peter vehemently, strongly objects. Lord, this will never happen. We're not going to let you die. And Peter goes from being complimented by the Lord to hearing this from Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I don't know about Had Jesus said that to me, I think I would have melted and felt like dying on the spot. Get behind me, Satan, for you're not thinking the thoughts of, of, of God, but of men. If you really think about it, by the way, a little sidebar here, Jesus wasn't calling Peter Satan. It was almost like Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. I was having a conversation with Peter, and how did you just sneak up? I kind of like that image because sometimes, man, you can get in a discussion with your wife or husband or someone you love, and man, it almost seems like, what in the world is the devil in this thing? And Jesus didn't personally rip on Peter. He just said, get behind me, Satan. Still, that's a big up and down to go through. One moment, man, Peter, that's a God thing. The next moment, Peter, that's, that's, that's a devil thing. After that, man, Peter, oh, they come and arrest Jesus. Peter cuts off the guy's ear and Jesus puts the ear back on him. Uh, they take Jesus away and Peter, like a lot of the other apostles, begins to kind of chicken out out of fear to the point where a little girl says, hey, aren't you a Galilean? Weren't you with Jesus? And Peter goes, I swear, man, I don't even know who the guy is. He denies the Lord three times and then the cock crows. All this happens, you know, and, and eventually Jesus does die. And then one day he goes to the tomb and finds out, uh-oh, the tomb is empty. Jesus appears to the women first, then he appears to, to, to Peter and, and the rest of the apostles. And then while Jesus is resurrected, but not yet ascended, has not yet gone into heaven, one day Peter is out, uh, out fishing and he looks on the shore and there's a guy there cooking some fish. And the guy yells out, hey, you guys caught anything yet? And Peter goes, no, nah, it's been a bad night. He says, try the other side. Remember the story? And they catch a whole bunch. And Peter goes, wait a minute. 
that's not just any old person, that's Jesus. And John tells us that Peter couldn't wait, jumps into the water and swims up to Jesus. And man, they have a pretty good intimate time. At one point, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Talk about his old life, his fishing. And Peter goes, you know I love him. Jesus asked him that three times. And after each time, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Wow, Peter's been up, he's been down. I bring all that up because in our text today, it's not yet Pentecost. He has not yet been baptized and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And yet Peter's the one who gets up to lead that meeting. So look at, so Peter, he, he had offended, he, he had messed up, and it had obviously been forgiven. Did they trust him again? They must have. And was there reconciliation? But what about the other guy who sinned? Judas. Judas had not simply denied Jesus. Judas had betrayed Jesus. And I may be opening up a can of worms right now, but I could bring this up for your own discussion. What do you think Jesus would have done when after Jesus had betrayed him and he died, what do you think Jesus would have done had Judas come back and said, man, Lord, I messed up. I am so sorry. I can't prove this. And certain people just think Judas is the next thing to the devil and God would never forgive him. But I don't know. I'm talking about offense, forgiveness, trust, and reconciliation. Well, obviously, Judas didn't. He didn't do that. little sidebar here which I'm, I, I was pausing there for a moment because I'm thinking about whether or not I should open up this can of worms. But in the passage I just read to you right now, it says about Judas that he, he, he took the money he got and he bought a field and then he fell headlong and his, and his innards opened up. That's different than, than what Matthew says, or on the surface, it's different than what Matthew says in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew says about Judas that after Judas saw that Jesus had been arrested and condemned, he got very remorseful. He was sorry he had done what, what he had done, and he goes back to the chief priest and uh, the, uh, the scribes, the, chief, the high priest and, and all those leaders, and he says, man, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, here's the money back. They go, we can't take your money back. It's blood money. So Judas just threw the money at him, and then he went out and he hung himself. He committed suicide. Now, critics like to use this as a classic example of where the Bible has errors in it where the Bible just makes that one Bible writer says this and another Bible writer says that. And there are other little issues like that in the Bible. Pastor, why are you bringing that up right now? Most preachers don't talk about stuff like this. Because I, I just want to bring up for a moment, is the Bible trustworthy? And is the Bible reliable? Uh, I personally think that almost all of these apparent contradictions and testimony can be harmonized together because they all give different aspects. Most scholars think, for example, that Judah, uh, Judas rather, not Judah, that Judas was remorseful. He went back and probably threw the money at him. And so the way he actually bought the field, like it appears in Acts, is he didn't buy it directly, that the uh, Jewish leaders had bought that field and that he that's where he committed suicide already he'd hung himself and that eventually the body just got old decays and it falls and that's why the body breaks open normally if you fall off a cliff your body doesn't bust open and your guts come out anyway 
bottom line, there's a bunch of, of different ways to reconcile that. When I, when I was at seminary years ago at a fairly conservative Bible-believing seminary, the big controversy was, is the Bible inerrant? Is the Bible without any errors? Uh, in, all, in, in all matters, is it inerrant without errors when it touches on science and when it touches on history? The Bible is not a history book. The Bible is absolutely not a science book. But if it happens to touch on those issues, does it speak without making errors? And some would say, yes, it, it's inerrant. Others would say, well, you know, it, it might make a little bit of an historical uh, uh, mistake here or a scientific mistake there because it was written by people who had the scientific understanding of their day, but it doesn't affect the overall all impact. So let me just say a couple quick things about that before I move on, which is why I almost didn't open up this can of worms. First of all, if you would grant the critics every single one of their issues, and by the way, most of their issues can be fairly easily resolved if you have an open mind at all, but let's just say you know, if I could play the quote-unquote devil's advocate, you say, all right, that's a mistake, that's a mistake, that's a mistake. These mistakes are all relatively minor. If I had a bunch of people, if I had 30, 40 people telling me they saw this guy kill someone and they all agreed together and there were only slight discrepancies and some minor details, that, a, a good defense attorney could probably take that and cause problems with it. But most of us would go, yeah, but they agreed they all saw the guy. The same thing is true that this Jesus was arrested. He died and they all claimed to be eyewitnesses eyewitnesses of the resurrection. They were all either liars or they were telling the truth. Besides, our ultimate salvation, as much as I love the Bible and I honor the Bible and I believe in its trustworthiness and its authority, ultimately it points to Jesus and he's our savior. I've always loved this passage in John. This passage in John, Jesus is talking back to some of the leaders who are accusing him of some stuff. And here's what Jesus says about himself. John chapter 5, he says to them, you search the scriptures or you guys study the Bible because you think they give you eternal life. You think that written book gives you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. It's kind of like, you say you believe you're going to get all this life out of that book, and it is the book that points to me, and if you miss me, you've missed the point of the book and you've missed life. This is cool too. Jesus says, your approval means nothing to me. Wow. In this, in this day and age, that's a powerful statement. To have enough, what's it called? Positive self-image to know who you are. That You can say, it doesn't ultimately matter whether you guys like me and approve of me because I know, he goes on to say this to him, because I know that you don't have God's love within you. Now, having done that little sidebar, Let's get back to what I want to encourage you on today. How do you handle people when they've offended you and they've sinned against you? What about offense? What about forgiveness? I've said offense is inevitable. It is going to happen. Forgiveness is mandatory. As Christians, the Bible says time and time again, as we've been forgiven, we have to forgive others. We can't celebrate the forgiveness that God has given us and then turn around and not forgive other people. Trust and reconciliation, however, oh, and please get this, trust and reconciliation are different. While offenses are inevitable and forgiveness is mandatory, we must forgive, we're under no obligation 
to begin to trust people again like that. Trust has to be rebuilt. And reconciliation, this is going to shock some of you, there is no place in the Bible that says you have to be reconciled with everyone because as a Christian, you're supposed to forgive them and love them and reconcile. No, a thousand times, a thousand times no. There's a difference between forgiveness, trust, and reconciliation. Judas was not reconciled. Of course, he ended it. He committed suicide. But Judas was not reconciled. Peter was. I, I, in fact, before I get to that, let me read you one more little passage here. I love this passage. This is a uh, just a couple of verses here. This is about Abra Abraham. In fact, he's not even Abraham yet. He's still Abram. Some of you may or may not remember that Abram, his name just means father, exalted father, a great father. His name was eventually changed to Abraham, which means father of multitude. So this is even before God gave him that promise. And he's with his brother, who's Lot. And so both Abraham and Lot were killing it in business. They were doing awesome. They were making a fortune, if you will. And they both got so successful that there were problems. We have problems when we fail, and we have problems when we succeed. You could teach on that. So many problems that their, their, their employees, their companies were starting to fight each other. So finally, Abram, who's the older brother, and who, by the way, by Old Testament uh, principles at that time, could have said, I'm the oldest, it belongs to me, that company's mine. He doesn't do that. Abram takes the high road. Listen to this in Genesis 13, just two verses. It says, so Abram said to his own brother Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your, your herders and mine or your workers and my workers. For we're close relatives. Yeah, they're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Now look what he says. He said, we're brothers, we need to love each other, but that doesn't mean we have to hang together all the time. Abram goes on to say, let's part company. He goes, this time has come, man, you know, reconcilia reconciliation in this particular point ain't going to work. I love you, you're my bro, I'm always there for you, but you know what? If you, you go left, then I'll go right. In fact, Abram gives Lot the choice. He says, you look where you want to go. If you want to go that way and take all that land, you got it, I'll take this one. If you just, I don't know, I want this one, you take this one, and I'll take that one. And indeed, that is exactly what they did. Uh, so listen, sometimes Peter became the leader of, of the disciples, even though he had blown it, because he had gone through the forgiveness process, had, he was in the process of rebuilding trust, and there was reconciliation. Judas, not so much. Abraham and Lot, the time had come to separate. In other words, someone needs to hear this right now, in some of the relationships that you're going through, you can let it go, and at the same time, let them go. Ooh, I want to say that again. <laughs> let that sink in. You can let it go. Forgive someone. You know, oh, I, whatever. And you also might need to let them go. There is nothing unchristian about forgiving someone and still determining that we cannot be friends anymore. I almost called this message, rather than calling it uh, what, offense, forgiveness, trust, and reconciliation, I almost just called it, maybe I should have, uh, I forgive you, but, 
<laughs> I forgive you, but there is nothing unchristian with saying to someone who you forgive, I love you, I forgive you, but don't call me anymore. I love you and forgive you, but you go over there and I'll go over here. I mean, we have to sometimes figure out, are we dealing with a Peter or are we dealing with a Judas? Are we dealing with an Abram or are we dealing with a Lot? Is this someone I should reconcile with or someone I should release? Is there someone I, I should restore or should I remove them from my friend list? Uh, should I fight to try to uh, salvage this relationship? Or should I go ahead and love them and forgive them and just decide to separate from them? Should, should I let them back in or let them go? Uh, are, are, are there any clues? Let me just throw out, throw out a couple in these final few moments before I'm done. There are a few things we can see in, in the heart and life of Judas, and yes, there are implications, and we can't know absolutely for sure. We're drawing implications, but I think they're helpful. Compared, let, let's say, to Peter. Judas, for example, and, and we know this for sure, Judas was really driven by greed. Of all the Bible writers, the one who, at least in what he wrote, disliked Judas the most, this will surprise you, John, the apostle of love, the one who would go on to write, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. John, John is known as the apostle of love. The stories told by his disciple Polycarp in Christian history that when the apostle John got old, uh, he was the only disciple to not die a martyr's death. He got to live and, and he died, I guess, died reg regular. That when he got old, he would go teach in the church. And of course, and this comes from Polycarp, one of John's disciples. It's not in the Bible, but it is in ancient church history. He said every time John spoke, John would speak on, Beloved, let us love one another. Every time. It got so much like that that the current elders of the church finally called the old man John aside and said, John... Do you realize that every time you talk, you talk on the same subject, you talk on love one another, they're thinking a little bit of Alzheimer's just sunk in, maybe he needs to retire, step aside, enjoy his, his remaining days. But John's answer is classic. John says, I know I talk about that every time. And when you finally start loving one another, I'll stop preaching about it. <laughs> That's a great story. Well, listen, listen to what, the apostle of love had to say about Judas because John did not like Judas. John's referring to the story when Jesus goes to Bethany to Lazarus and Mary and Martha and Mary takes a pint of oil that's worth, we're going to find out, a year's wages. How much do you make in a year? 50000 100000 That's a lot of money. Yeah, It's worth a year's wages. And she pours out this oil and she rubs Jesus' feet with it. But Judas complains. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? This sounds like criticism we hear today. And the money given to the poor. It's worth a year's wages, man. We could have helped out the poor with 50000 100000 whatever that was worth. Now look what John goes on to say. He says, Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, a keeper of the money, a bag, he used to help himself to whatever he needed, to whatever was, was put into that. John is going, man. So look, some who are some people you might have to let go? And again, we're, we're not God. We can't see someone's heart as clearly as God can see it. 
But if you see someone and they're just full of greed all the time, even the 30 pieces of silver that Judas betrayed the Lord for, I thought that'd be worth a fortune. Most scholars think that was only worth between $100 to $500. I have seen up to $5,000 or so. That's not very much money to throw away someone who's poured their life into you for, thr for, for, for years. It's Listen, when people claim to be your friends, but they keep profiting from your pain. Now, by profit, it doesn't have to just be financial profit. There are people who will climb, climb the ladder of success on your back. Uh, you know, um, it, it's just greed. It's, it's, it's all that together. You ever have people you just want to say, man, I just think I, I was a means to an end for you. You used me. Worse, you have profited off my pain. Watch out for people who profit off your pain. Should you forgive them? Absolutely. We're required to forgive them. Should you trust them? Not necessarily. <laughs> it's like sometimes when kids go, uh, they ask their parents, their teenagers, and they don't have a car yet. Hey, Dad, can I, can I take the car and go to the party tonight? And let's say they've really messed up. So, no, 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 remember, I told you if you did that, you wouldn't get to have the right to the car for a while. Oh, Dad, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry. Dad, 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 Mom, 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 would you forgive me? And for real, they might say, yeah, dear, we totally forgive you. Seconds later, you know what I'm talking about, the teenagers say, okay, can I have the keys to the car now? Well, no. What? I thought you just said you forgave me. I thought you said you loved me. We do love you. We do forgive you. But trust takes a while to be rebuilt. If you have a spouse who has cheated on you, and maybe on more than one occasion, but perhaps you're working on restoring a marriage, which is great. You love them. You forgive them. But I tell the cheating spouse all the time, but it may take a while to rebuild that trust. And in some cases, like Abraham and Lot, people may go, hey, I, I love you. I want the best for you. You're my bro, but bye. <laughs> Watch out for people who, 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 who profit, who have greed, greed in their hearts, people who can hurt you and not care. So we, all of us read about celebrities who later on have a tell-all book, and sometimes celebrities themselves write tell-all books about people who they've been with, and they make a fortune by it, or they want to tell their own story. Well, good for them, but I'm glad I wasn't their friend, because for their release and making money and getting things off their chest, and they feel better because they tell their own story, they've really messed up, perhaps, with someone else. Um, people that use you. For, forgive people, sure. Trust them. Not so fast. Reconcile, maybe, or maybe go our own way. I think all of us know that, that the key issue becomes the heart. And uh, ultimately, only God knows the heart. Let me read you one more quick verse here. I love this verse about Jesus. And John, this is what chapter? This is John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. When the crowds are kind of pressing Jesus, I love this about Jesus. It says, verse 24, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Why? For he knew all people. You know, you, you didn't have to make Jesus people smart. Jesus loved people. He came to die for people. That's why he came. But he wasn't an idiot. <laughs> he knew what people could be like. It goes on to say, he did not need any testimony about mankind. He didn't, he didn't, people to wise, he didn't need people to wise him up about how crooked and negative people can be, for he knew what was in each man's hearts. Now, now for, our, for us 
for us mere mortals because we're not Jesus. We can get ideas. We can maybe see the, the only way we can see someone's heart is ultimately by, by what they do. And sometimes, oh, this is the bad news. The bad news is God will use hurt in our lives to let us know a few things about some relationships we are in. See, you thought she was your friend. You think he really loves you, but now how hurt are you? You thought she had your back. You think he's going to cover you, man. He's your bro. He's, he, he's, he, he's, part of, he's part of you. Sometimes we got to use, we, we, we got to learn the hard way. But the good news is, we'll get this before we're done. The good news is that God can use present pain and present hurt that you get from being betrayed and backstabbed and whatever and exposed. He said, God can use that pain to protect you from greater pain. It's a lot like getting inoculations. I don't want to get into the politics of the COVID vaccine, but some of you know what it's like to get that COVID shot and you didn't feel very good for a while. You know, some didn't have much of an impact. Others had quite a few side effects. Oh, man, I was feeling fine. I got the shot, and now I feel sick. But what was the purpose of it? The purpose was to protect you from greater harm. I mean, if the thing works how it's supposed to work, at least you're not going to get really sick and maybe have to go to the hospital and, God forbid, maybe die. The same thing is true in our own lives. Some people, too, by the way, as was the case with Judas, some people are just not fit for whatever your future might be. Uh, some people, where, where you're going to go, who God wants you to be, and where he wants to take you, they're just not going to add anything. They're, they're not going to help at all. Peter made tons of mistakes, but Peter often added to the mission of God. Judas didn't add anything. <laughs> Judas, Judas only took away. Some people end up just being not only a help, not only are they not a help, they can end up being a major, major drag. And I'm, I'm running out of time right now, but can I also say this? Don't be afraid to be like Abraham and at times to let someone go. Why? Because as we read in Acts chapter 1, God already has someone better. The, 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 the 12, when uh, Judas left, there was only 11. And Peter says, we need to have 12. I don't have time to teach on that, but there were 12 tribes of Israel. The number 12 is very significant. So they already, God already had people in mind. They said, well, let's take these two guys. Uh, was it Justice and Matthias? And God, you know the heart, reveal it to us. And it ended up being Matthias. Listen, for every Judas in your life right now, that maybe God says the time has come to cut some ties, I promise you God has a Matthias. It's like for every Elijah, once he's gone, God has an Elisha. Uh, for every Moses, when Moses is gone, there is a Joshua. Let him go and, 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 and experience God's best for your life. Hey, I'm, out, I'm actually a little bit past time right now, but I just want to... Uh, Thank you for listening. I've, I've been talking about offense. I want to say it one more time. Being offended and being hurt is inevitable. Forgiveness for a believer. If you're not a believer, do what you want. But if you love Jesus, forgiveness is mandatory. Not trust and not reconciliation. You can totally, completely, absolutely, with no strings attached, love someone and totally forgive them. But it's going to take a while for them to rebuild trust. And some people... 
you are under no obligation to ever necessarily reconcile with them. Reconciliation may happen, it may be the best thing, but it also may not be the best thing. So I'm praying for you for wisdom, because I know this message wasn't a spit, scream, and shout message. It wasn't about, you know, uh, the abundant life and casting out what uh, casting out evil spirits and, you know, all the power. But this was a rubber meets the road kind of message that can really make a huge difference in your life. 